This program is brought to you from the Margaret Farrow Studio. Hello and welcome to Newsmakers. I'm your host, Lisa Pugh. The State Assembly is back in session this week after a short post-budget break. Assembly Speaker Robin Voss has been working with his members to pass a series of bills that continue his party's priorities, including a new surprise proposal to adopt nonpartisan redistricting. Speaker Voss taking time out from his floor periods this week to tell us about all of those proposals. Thank you for joining us. Thanks, Lisa. Good morning. Well, uh, there's been a whirlwind of activity in mm -hmm. the Assembly over the last several weeks, but particularly the last 24 hours. How would you describe this particular floor period so far? Well, it's one of the most exciting times because the budget is now behind us. Of course, that's our biggest priority every two years. Uh, lots of good things that were accomplished, investments in all kinds of priorities from mental health, public schools, local governments, uh, lots of wins I think that people could take credit for. Uh, unfortunately, Governor Evers, in my mind, made a mistake by vetoing our tax cut. We had an across-the-board reduction in taxes, even with historic investments in all of our uh, important priorities. So now we're back to have another chance. Now, we heard what he said. Uh, I don't agree with it, but I accept the fact that we have to have a signature to make a tax cut reality. So we didn't do an across-the-board tax cut. We focused on the middle bracket. That was uh, big news from yesterday. That's what we, we tried. Got that across yeah, yeah, we tried to get that. But we added something different, uh, which was also the first $150,000 for a couple's retirement income would be totally tax-free. It would make us one of only four states in the country that have basically tax-free retirement. I think 98% of all income for retirees would be tax-exempt. So that's something that we we hoped would have broad bipartisan support. What I've noticed is a new tone from Governor Evers since he's been reelected, which is really much more obstinate. Well, not he's, trying he's to find to veto that tax right. cut already, right? I mean, it, it seems like whenever we try to reach out to say, here's a middle ground, he instantly slaps it away and says, it's my way or the highway. Well, he says that tax cut financial instability lead to bankruptcy. Well, Legislative Fiscal Bureau says structural imbalance of $651 million in 2025, is that accurate? What? No. So, uh, number one, uh, we asked about two years ago to join a lawsuit suing the federal government because they had said if you took federal um, aid during the coronavirus pandemic that you couldn't cut taxes. Well, 13 states joined a lawsuit. The Supreme Court said, yes, of course you can cut taxes, but only for the 13 states that joined the effort. They've, the Fiscal Bureau has also said, if any other state sues, considering what happened, you're certainly likely to win. So the idea that we can't cut taxes because we'll lose some kind of federal revenue is totally There's bogus. There's no future structural deficit then with these tax cuts. No, because what happens is the structural deficit assumes no revenue increases. Well, of course, every single cycle that we have been in as a state, we have had a revenue increase but one. So I think that there's no reason to assume we wouldn't in the future. Just like we have spending increases that are planned, Governor Evers vetoed in a permanent increase in spending on schools. Uh, that doesn't create a structural deficit any more than the tax cuts would. So both of them, important priorities. Uh, I think one was done correctly, one was done wrongly, uh, but it doesn't really matter how it's done. What happens if the governor vetoes it? He says he's going to veto it. Do you go back for, to the drawing board again with another proposal, or do you let that surplus grow and have an even bigger tax cut in 2025? No, we are going to try to return the money back as quickly as we can. I mean, look, I have no control over what goes on in Washington, D.C., but the one thing I know is that people are hurting. Uh, inflation is ravaging family budgets. We see energy costs, food costs, rent costs, 
all increasing uh, at a rate that we haven't really seen in the past couple decades. Why would the money sit in the state's coffers when we have an opportunity to return it back to the taxpayers? And again, we've already made historic investments, you know, almost $100 million for help with child care, a billion dollars for money for schools, a billion dollars for money that we're helping local governments with. So it's not like we were short on the aid that we gave to the important priorities in the state, but there's still $4 billion left of the surplus. We're going to return $3 billion of that back. But if he vetoes, you go back with another proposal, you think he's going to sign it. We are, we are not going to have some kind of a massive taxing or a massive spending increase um, that we've already done spending increases on the budget. So my hope is we get a tax cut across the finish line. And if not, the people hold the Democrats accountable for saying that they promise one thing during campaign time, which is to cut our taxes. And then when the reality comes, they don't actually live up to it. So you took a lot of people by surprise yesterday with that press conference where you introduced this proposal to have nonpartisan redistricting Mm -hmm. following the Iowa model. Can you summarize for viewers what's in that proposal? Sure. Well, first of all, the maps that we have right now, in my mind, are perfectly fine because they've been determined by the Wisconsin Supreme Court and the U.S. Supreme Court to be constitutional and perfectly sound. So let's start with that. Not gerrymander. That's not what I believe. Okay. But I do believe um, that we are heading into a time where we have a justice who ran for the court prejudging what's going to happen in one of the cases. It's why she has to recuse, and I hope that she will. It seems to me that that's the thing that gives some confidence in our judicial system, that somebody doesn't run for office, make promises like a politician, and then fulfill them, as opposed to being blind justice. If you remember the, the scales of justice, the woman in the, the statue is blind because you're not supposed to prejudge a case. Uh, I hope that she'll do that. It doesn't appear that she's indicating she will. Well, she's taking arguments, so my hope is that she'll do the right thing. Um, but I guess I wanted to take the temperature down. We now see Democrats have raised money from all around the country, out-of-state special interests. They've launched $4 million in attack ads because for them they only know one methodology, which is attack and use vitriol and anger. And that's not what Wisconsin needs right now. I feel like we have more than enough of that at the national level. I don't want to make it worse in Wisconsin. So I did some soul searching. I spent some time at the National Speakers Conference. Because you've opposed this proposal in the past. I have. I mean, so I was at the National Speakers Conference where we have Republicans and Democrats from around the country and all of us, every party in every state said the same thing, that the level of anger and vitriol has to change. So it made me think about it. And I realized that if we could take the temperature down in a way that allows us to have a nonpartisan process, give some more confidence to the people on the left who think that they're losing because of the maps, I think they're losing because our ideas and our candidates are better. Um, I'm willing to take that risk. So we took literally the Iowa model, which Democrats for 20 years have called the gold standard. We have a memo from the nonpartisan uh, reference bureau saying it's the closest it can be in Wisconsin because our constitution isn't exactly the same as Iowa, but it's the closest it can possibly be. And we proposed it saying, let's bring it up for a vote. There's no need for a hearing. We've had referendums around the state. We have done all this discussion. Democrats, I think everyone, 100% of them, have put out statements over the course of the past decade saying that they support this process. And now we're going to put it on the floor. And what's the first thing that they do? They all say, well, no, we can't do it now. Right. There's been a flurry of press releases. The governor said this is a last-ditch effort to retain legislative control of the maps. Democrats, just a liar. It's bogus. I mean, what's bogus about it is his hypocrisy. I mean, under the proposal, you have the Republican leaders and the Democrat leaders each picking a person, then the four of them together, equal in numbers, pick a fifth person to be on the panel. They're the ones who oversees the process. It comes to the legislature where we have to vote it up or down without amendment. It goes to the governor where he has to sign it without change. 
and we go forward. I mean, so this is what they asked for. So we are literally giving them the win that they have so long sought. And when they're at the cusp of victory, what's the first thing that they do? Throw it out of hand because they think they have a judge who's already predetermined the case. Will you continue to work for bipartisan support to try to address skepticism about the proposal? What's the next step? Well, I mean, I'm always open to ideas. I mean, but this is the crazy thing, though. We have taken their proposal and we are now drafting it and putting it on the floor. Why do I have to change their proposal to be able to get their additional votes? Uh, it, it doesn't make any sense. I mean, of course, if there's some flaw or there's some technicality, of course we're willing to look at that. But again, this is the closest it can be to the Iowa model under the Constitution we have in the state of Wisconsin. Uh, there, there, there should be broad bipartisan support. I honestly thought at our press conference we were going to have Democrats putting out things saying, finally, thank you, let's get this done and move on. And instead, within seconds, it was the same anger and vitriol that we have heard from the left for really the past decade. And it's, I think, what people in Wisconsin are sick and tired of. If Republicans said, look, let's be open-minded and maybe we're willing to change our position, and the Democrats literally say, too bad, we're not going to do that, we're going to go with some partisan process because we think the judge has already predetermined the case, it just builds the momentum to say why... I guess we have to have her recuse because even the Democrats who, are, who kind of bought and paid for her election know she's predetermined the outcome. Well, how can the citizens of Wisconsin have faith in a process if we're willing to do something outside the norm and the Democrats aren't willing to accept a, an open gesture? Uh, just to summarize that Iowa model, you mm -hmm. mentioned the Legislative Reference Bureau uses some pretty tight parameters to put forward a nonpartisan mm -hmm. map. Can't, they can't tell where anybody lives. They can't use partisan data. It just literally is on geography Not and population. People currently in office. Yep. You could have a bunch of incumbents put together, and that's the risk that the Iowa plan has. But we're willing to take that risk because we think it's a better way for the state to look at this in the long run than to have a partisan court draw a partisan gerrymander because they predetermine the outcome. Part of that Iowa model, it allows legislators to reject two maps, send them back to the nonpartisan yeah. agency, and then the legislators can create a third map using a partisan amendment process. Do you think that that's the part of the process that's maybe creating some skepticism that there's this door open for partisanship? I mean, I guess it could, but again, it's worked in Iowa five times in the past 50 years. And again, we have a Democrat governor. So if somehow you think we're going to sneak through a Republican map that has some kind of favor and get Tony Evers' signature on it, I think you're smoking something. It's not going to happen. So I think it's all red herrings. It's all the hypocrisy of the left saying this is what we wanted. I mean, just imagine going back in time five years. If you would say to the same Democrats who have proposed this that Robin Voss and the Republicans are going to be in favor of nonpartisan redistricting and we're going to say no, I think people would have had their heads spin around. And that's where we are right now, the hypocrisy of the left in saying that this is what they wanted up until literally we have announced it, and now they've gone full circle to say well, we can't have it. I mean, don't you think people in Wisconsin are sick and tired of that kind of hypocrisy? I do. You mentioned your desire and hope that uh, Justice Protasiewicz would rec recuse mm -hmm. herself from the well, redistricting case. Um, we talked about, we, we think it's less likely she do that. You're still hopeful that she would. Are you ready to pursue her impeachment if she does not? It is my down? absolute last resort. You know, the, the Democrats have made this huge case off of me saying that I wouldn't rule it out. Well, I don't rule anything out until, first of all, the facts present themselves. We see what actually occurs. You know, I try not to deal in hypotheticals as much as I am able. So, number one, look, one of the things that I did today is I asked former members of the court 
to do a review and an analysis of the process and what would actually occur as to whether or not what she's doing would rise to the level of possible impeachment or at least an investigation. Who are you consulting with? Uh, I'm going to keep their names uh, out of the media because I want them to do an independent analysis without bias or some kind of a lobbying effort or uh, a, you know a media frenzy. But I do believe we'll have something back in the next week or two uh, so we know whether or not the ability lies within the legislature and how it would work. Again, that is my absolute last resort, which is why we propose something, as you said, fairly radical to say, let's change the process that we use to draw the map so it doesn't even require an analysis by a potentially biased court. Do uh, you personally believe the Assembly has the authority under the Constitution to move forward with impeachment? Oh, I absolutely do. There's no doubt whatsoever. I mean, I have no doubt it's in the Constitution. I mean, I'm not a lawyer, but I can read the plain wording of the document. Uh, we have the right to conduct an investigation. We have the right to find enough to send it to trial. Whether or not the person is convicted in the Senate, that's out of my world. I can't, I can't say anything there. Uh, but certainly I believe that it's possible. Uh, again, last resort, hope it doesn't happen. Hope she does the right thing. We've given an off-ramp to be able to have these nonpartisan maps, which makes the need for the court to draw them uh, less likely. They still could in the end, but it makes it less likely. So hopefully the Democrats are the ones who realize that they have the ability to get off this path, uh, but it's got to be two sides working together to do it, not just one side uh, yelling, haranguing, and spending millions of dollars attacking us. What sort of advice are you looking for uh, from those former Supreme Court well, I would first of all say, how does the process work? What rises to the level of impeachment if you look around the country, around the, uh, the, the judicial system to make sure that we are doing something that is not totally outside the norm? Uh, I would also say, you know, when you have somebody who did something which was really unprecedented in Wisconsin, we did not have somebody running for the court making promises. Uh, that is brand new in Wisconsin and a hugely dangerous precedent. When you run for the legislature or when you run for governor, you make promises because you are a policymaker. Uh, I'm going to vote for X or I'm going to oppose Y. That's what people vote on. When you run for the court, uh, our history has always been you use your judgment, your background, your character, and even potentially your philosophy to say this is where uh, I believe the Constitution lies. But we've never had somebody who came out and said, I'm going to prejudge a case and use that as part of my campaign to win re-election. That's how you run for the legislature. So if we allow that to become part of the future process, we are undermining the third branch of government and the confidence that anybody could have that they are going to get the blind justice we have all assumed. Let, let's just take an example. Let's assume that um, you read in the newspaper that somebody committed a murder. Uh, you're a judge. And you say to your spouse at breakfast, boy, this person sure seems like they're guilty. Then you go to your Rotary Club and you tell all your friends at the Rotary Club, yep, boy, this person sure seems guilty to me. I can't imagine how anybody would think he's not guilty. And then you're assigned to be the judge of the case. And you say, oh, I'm going to be totally unbiased. I haven't made an opinion up yet. Well, you've told these people how you believe. I think most people would look and say, that person is not going to get a fair trial if you're the judge. Well, it's the exact same circumstances we are seeing here about the maps. Look, we have six other justices who can do the job because they haven't prejudged a case that's coming forward. I don't know why we wouldn't do that to have the possible idea that we're going to maintain the independence of the judiciary and not have it become some kind of a biased 
hyperpartisan legislature. You mentioned this yesterday in your press conference, all the millions of dollars mm -hmm. pouring in on this issue, both sides spending yeah. money. Um, Democrats launched a multi-million dollar campaign saying they're going to inform voters of the dangers of um, pursuing impeachment and how they think that it's really, you know, um, not validating the April election results. Uh, are you concerned that pursuing impeachment is harmful to Republican candidates uh, as the Democrats have. Oh my proposed. goodness, no. I mean, it's no more harmful than the Democrats pursuing impeachment of President Trump, right? They felt, I don't agree, but they felt it was part of their constitutional duty. I think it was a kangaroo court, and I think the people of America should judge it that way. We are now seeing there's a potential impeachment of President Biden because of the crazy dealings of Hunter Biden and how they had millions of dollars of payments from foreign interests. That seems to me to be something they should investigate. No consequences in elections to kind of follow I don't think paths. if you do your job. I mean, you have to prove to the people why you're doing it. You have to prove to the people that what the other person did was right or wrong. Um, but that's part of our constitutional duty. Uh, it seems like Democrats that have in Washington have had no problem utilizing impeachment. Uh, so it's kind of ironic that they somehow feel like if we would even talk about it, that we're committing some kind of a, a, a heinous act. More activity in the Capitol yesterday. Uh, Governor Evers sent a survey over to all members of the legislature. Yeah, how stupid was that? <laughs> well, that was is the dumbest thing I have ever seen. He, he wants them to uh, say how they, what, what their positions are on his uh, items Talk in his special session. Out of touch governor. So we're going to send a survey rather than maybe actually meeting with people. How about talking to people? How about actually having a discussion to say, what are your priorities, Lisa? What can we work on together? And instead, he forms a survey and he sends it out to the legislature by email. Talk about a guy who is out of touch with the basic idea of how to form not only a relationship, but to form the ability to work together to get something done. What are you I, I telling your members about how to respond to that? I, I, you can do whatever you want to, but I assume most are going to ignore it. And the disingenuous, press release-filled idea that it really is. The governor uh, predicted in his message with the survey yesterday that uh, the legislature will gavel in and out of his special session on September 20th. Do you, what, what will happen uh, from your perspective on Well, you know, maybe September he should call us and ask us. W wouldn't that be nice as opposed to just sending out press releases thinking you're going to know? I mean... Are you willing to entertain his ideas on child care, something I know that your caucus also agrees with as a concern, uh, paid family medical leave, increasing UW system funding, workforce grants, those elements of his special session? Well, it's first of all, his entire plan focuses on more government spending. That is not the problem with where our society is right now, that government is not spending enough money. The problem is families don't have enough money because we're overtaxing and adding too many burdens onto an already expensive situation. So. Do I believe that there are things that government can do? Yeah, on the fringe, I think that there are. I mean, I think we could reduce regulations. Those are some of the bills that we're bringing forward. I think we could have childcare workers able to watch more than the number of kids they have now, similar to what they do in Minnesota. Uh, I, I think there are a lot of things that we could do to make the situation better. I mean, you know where I stand on the university. We are more than willing to work with them if they won't spend the money on political ideology. So I think there's a way that we could get to an answer on that. If he wants to spend more money indoctrinating our kids, that's never going to happen with a Republican legislature. So, I mean, there are you things see we gaveling in and out on September 20th. I mean, we'll talk about it. We have to. We're going to caucus again. Um, you know, the goal again is to try to find consensus. But if his consensus building technique is threatening, sending out phony surveys, and somehow acting like that he doesn't have to work with us, well, it's pretty hard to get something done then. <laughs>
Uh, you mentioned the child care package that will be on the floor for vote tomorrow. Your members have been working really hard on that. Mm -hmm. um, you talked about loosening regulations of child care providers to increase capacity, allowing yeah. them to watch more children. Uh, Included in that package, creating um, a fund for child care providers for renovations mm -hmm. and other improvements. Also creating a child care reimbursement account. Why is this child care legislation proposal better than what the governor has proposed, which is continuing that child care counts funding, which has been subsidizing providers, which they say is allowing them to stay open? Sure. Well, let's just think about what Governor Ears' proposal is. And let's take child care out of it. And let's just use a grocery store. If the idea is we're going to send the owner of every grocery store a check forever in the idea that somehow they're going to keep the price of food down, that, that doesn't really work. That is not the basic economics of the America that we live in. What you got to do is you have to either increase supply or decrease demand. That's the basic economics of the free market that we live in. So I demand prefer Demand for child care uh, is increasing. Correct. So that means you have to increase supply. So increased supply means we give people loans to be able to start a brand new facility. We increase the number of slots um, so that we match what Minnesota does. They allow individual child care workers to see and watch more kids than we do. I don't think Minnesota is some right-wing regressive state uh, that Democrats would say can't happen. I mean, it seems to me we could match what they do, and that would have a dramatic increase in the number of available slots. I think we could let kids who are 16 or 17 be an intern, work in a child care setting, and help to have more people go into child care. So I feel like there are answers which could find bipartisan support that don't just rely on taxing one person to give to another, which is what Governor Evers' proposal really does, is it's all the people who are paying for their own child care, they're going to pay more so a few child care centers can get a check from the government. That That is not a long-term solution. So the governor says that uh, federal money runs out in February. Mm -hmm. um, child care, he says child care centers will close when that funding goes away. Are you concerned about more child care centers in Wisconsin yeah, closing? Of course I don't want child care centers to close, but uh, you know, I think at the end, we cannot have a situation where the government subsidizes individual industries to keep them operating. We don't do that with anybody. Right? So the idea that we're going to subsidize grocery stores or we're going to subsidize hardware stores or we're going to subsidize child care centers, all of those things don't work. We already have a pretty robust system in Wisconsin called Wisconsin Shares for parents who are lower income to get reduced price um, child care that the state pays for to make sure that they are out there working. You know, we have invested in that. I think we invested $100 million in the last budget into that system because we do want people to have access to quality child care. But the idea that we're just going to take it over and we're going to start paying the wages of all these people to kind of top up the wages, it's not sustainable, and I just don't think it can work. So once you get past tomorrow and you have some success on yeah. the floor, uh, you're, you have some speaker task forces that mm -hmm. you've announced. One of them has to do with artificial intelligence, AI. Yep. We hear so much about that. Where do you stand on the continuum on uh, whether or not you think it's going to be helpful in Wisconsin or potentially dangerous? What, what's your opinion? Well, I think that's part of why I wanted to have the task force. Um, we don't know. I mean, AI is a tool. Uh, so it's no different than when we all realized that a cell phone could be the computer on your hip, right? I mean, that's just the way of the world. So my preference is for us to not ban AI or anything like that, but to learn how we make sure that it benefits the citizens of the state in a way that doesn't 
make their privacy or their ability to be productive less than where we are right now. So I, I think there's a lot of potential, but that's what I want to learn. That's why we're appointing people to be on the committee. They'll do the research, uh, make sure that AI is already a part of an awful lot of our world. People just don't know it yet. So how do we harness that technology for the betterment of society and not hopefully to the detriment? Your other task forces, childhood obesity, truancy in K-12 education, human trafficking, why, why those issues? You can pick from so many. Yeah, I mean, I think they're the ones to me that at least raised to the level that we, we actually could do something about. Human trafficking, I'm sure you've probably seen the movie Sound of Freedom. Uh, what a fantastic story uh, to remind us all how tragic it is for the children from across the world and from across the country who are part of human trafficking. If we can do things to reduce that, I feel like that could be an area that we could find bipartisan consensus. Uh, childhood obesity, you look around, kids are significantly heavier than they were when we were younger. Uh, I think that's a bad thing if you look at long-term health outcomes, the cost of health care, frankly the role of the taxpayer paying for Medicaid. Uh, you know, Over half of all the births uh, in many parts of Wisconsin are paid for by the taxpayers who want to have healthy kids. So I, I feel like there are a lot of things we could find consensus on. And then lastly, you, you look at truancy, and we know if kids don't have the ability to read and they're not a graduate of high school, they're probably going to be dependent on somebody else to put food on their table and a roof over their head. We can't afford it. So why not make the investments to ensure we have well-educated kids, what, making sure they have a degree so they can get a good job and support themselves. So hopefully all things we could find consensus on. Um, the Brewers. Yeah. Representative, oh gosh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's another issue. Yeah. Um, Representative August said in an interview last week that um, next week maybe we'll see a new Brewers deal. Uh, what's going to be in it? So we are coming close to consensus. Um, the, the most challenging part that we have is I want this to be a bipartisan proposal. It's not going to be one uh, that's successful if it's only supported by the Democrats or only supported by the Republicans. So are you working with Democrats on uh, We are trying to. Um, so yes, uh, we have had Representative Brooks is the author of the bill, um, along with Senator Fine in the Senate. They are working with their Democratic colleagues to generate consensus. Um, my hope is, and again, we've only had a few things that we say have to happen. There has to be a, a, a three-way partnership. The brewers have to put money on the table. The state will put money on the table, and so does the local governments who have the most direct financial interest in having the team be successful in southeastern Wisconsin. So it's a three-legged stool. I feel like we are making progress on each of those. The state will carry the heaviest burden. The team and the locals will carry a significantly lower burden, uh, but that's because it's the state's stadium. Uh, we're the one who ultimately owns it. If the team leaves, we're the one who bears the most of the financial risk because we know that the team... Uh, by the players' salaries that are paid. So what sometimes people forget is that when a player from New York or California or Florida plays in Wisconsin, they pay income tax on that portion of their earnings in Wisconsin. So if 1% of their games are in Wisconsin, 1% of their earnings are taxed here. So if they leave and never play a game here, all that money is gone. So there is a huge financial downside from having the Brewers leave in addition to us owning a white elephant of a stadium that doesn't have much use if you don't have a baseball team. So I think people realize that, and that's why over time I think there will be strong public support for the plan that we bring forward, similar to what we've done for the Bucks, similar to what we've done for the, the Green Bay Packers. We don't want the Brewers to leave, and I think there's a way for us to keep them. You mentioned uh, briefly UW System funding. We had former Governor Thompson, former UW System president here recently. He says the system's on the edge of crisis due to looming demographic shifts and mm -hmm. reduced enrollment. Um, what is the legislature prepared to do to help the UW system? Well, number one, the, what do they always say if you're an alcoholic? The, the first thing is you have to admit you have a problem 
and realize that you need to solve it yourself before other people can help you. And I feel like that's where the UW system is. They have a major problem in the fact that they have a lot of bureaucratic bloat. They have added hundreds of administrators as the population of the system has either stayed the same or gone down. That's wasteful spending. They have focused on the things that are wrong. I mean, do I want to make sure we have every possible student coming to UW, whatever? Yes, I do. Um, but I want to make sure that they are coming because we're the best system and that we do the best job educating, not because of some kind of political litmus test that's applied before people apply. Should you have to admit white privilege on your first day on the campus? I think that's stupid. Should you say that you respect everybody who is on the campus regardless of their background? Of course. So. DEI has become like a new religion for an awful lot of people on the left because they want to indoctrinate, not educate. That's something that should never happen with taxpayer dollars. So until those things are fixed, there's probably no. not any more Correct. money coming from the legislature. There's not going to be, because even if we have said we did the $32 million cut saying don't fund the DEI positions and use the resources for that and come back and show us how you're going to do it, and it seems like some campuses are doubling down in indoctrination, well, we're not going to accept that. You uh, recently said goodbye to your position as president of the National uh, Conference of State Legislatures. What's one of the biggest takeaways you have from that time there? Boy, we live in the best country in the entire world. Um, I have had the chance to travel uh, around the country and meet with legislative leaders, both parties, both chambers, every part of the country, and we live in an amazing place. We live in a fantastic country, and democracy is a whole lot stronger than people accept. You know, for those who think that democracy is on the brink, they are missing the fundamental parts of what makes America great, and it's that men and women of goodwill in both political parties want America to work. Yeah, we argue, we fight, uh, but at the end of the day, I think we all have the same vision for our country, maybe just different paths to get there. So it's reinstilled in me that democracy is certainly the best way to govern. It's not always easy, it's not always a straight line, but the republic that we live in is special and we can't let it fall apart. Well, uh, before we say goodbye, I know our, our friends here at Wisconsin, I want to say thank you to you and oh. to uh, members of the legislature for their support of Wisconsin. I, um, we really appreciate that support. You're welcome. And it's, uh, I know Wisconsinite is a great public service, and I hope you'll do it for many years to come. Well, we hope you'll come back to Newsmakers. I again. will. Thanks, Lisa. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Speaker Voss. And thank you to the viewers of Newsmakers. Be sure to tune in again as we highlight the issues and sit down with the decision makers who make a difference for all of us. This program is a production of Wisconsin Eye, an independent, nonpartisan, nonprofit media network with a mission to inform, educate, and engage the citizens of Wisconsin. Wisconsin Eye is the nation's first and only independently funded state civic broadcast network, providing gavel to gavel access to government proceedings and events at the state capitol.